0: hey y'all have you ever heard of old gods of Appalachia well if you haven't you have now let me tell you this is a horror anthology podcast and it is absolutely amazing they have characters they have actors they have different people doing voiceovers it is so ridiculously dope y'all gotta check this out um I'm, I'm like i'm enthralled I'm, I, I can't stop listening to it this shit is crazy and i gotta tell you all the actors are they're straight they're queer they're black they're of color they're male they're female they're they, them, they thems they them. they just this thing is so diverse man and and there's there's actually some poets involved with this that i actually admire so this is a big deal Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person, in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zen. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So, give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Good morning, good morning everyone. This is your friend, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake. Coming to you live from my humble abode of books during this pandemic paradise where quarantine is no longer cute. I can't wait to stop saying that. Well, y'all, the good news is I went back to work two days ago. And could I just tell you, this was something that I never would have anticipated. I have been waiting tables off and on for about 30 years. I got my first job um, working at a diner in New Jersey with zero experience. And oh, man, I don't know if you know how hectic that first day was. But I fell in love with it because I got to talk to people all day, every day. Like I, I felt more than bringing plates to tables from the kitchen. I always felt like I got paid for having conversations. Like it's just what I've always wanted to do. I could talk to people all day, every day, all the time. I just love it. I love listening to people. I love communicating with them. I love building relationships that way. And y'all, two days ago, I walked into work. And i it was as if I never waited tables before in my life. Now, mind you, I had been out of work since around Thanksgiving. And here it is, Valentine's Day. And y'all, I couldn't... I forgot to bring people silverware. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. I mean, I forgot stuff. Like, I brought people drinks without straws. I brought food without utensils. I, (laughs) I was the worst waiter on earth for an entire day. I think if there was any Nubian kind of mistake to be made, I made it. I was a novice all day. I was getting uh, confused and forgetful and overwhelmed. Now, mind you, I only had four tables. We're not talking, you know, half the restaurant or something. It was just four tables. And I couldn't do anything right yesterday. And it's from a combination of things. Of course, it's from not waiting tables for three months, most of all. And... I never thought there'd be a day where I didn't know how to walk into a restaurant and take over a dining room, but I sure as hell discovered this clumsy, you know, insecure being of a waiter that I was. I, I, I discovered it yesterday and I never thought that that could happen to me. So there's an old saying, if you're not humble, you will be humiliated. So I was I was humiliated, and uh, I am now humble. <laughs> so that was first. Second, um, this medication that I'm taking for my depression, one of the side effects is memory loss. And I don't know if it's long-term or short-term, but I can tell you right now, from personal experience, my short-term memory sucked the last couple of days at work and last but not least i i've lost interest in waiting tables i used to love it i just loved it but you know i'm 50 years old and my ankles hurt my knees hurt my lower back hurts my hips hurt um you know, on an average night of waiting tables, you, you could do a probably about anywhere between 20 and 30,000 steps in a night, easy. Um, and I've noticed that only because, you know, I've been using a step counter on my phone just for day to day. And at work, I, you know, I will double, triple my expectations of steps that day. So my legs have been through a lot of 30 years of waiting tables. I mean, that's a lot. Um, I'm surprised I don't need a hip replacement at my age with waiting tables for three decades, but I've gotten lucky. What I really want to talk about today, though, is if, if there's one thing that I've noticed about myself over this quarantine is my relationship to money. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people would say I have a very spiritual relationship with money and some people would say I have an awful and irresponsible relationship with money. And I'm leaning towards the latter. (laughs) I'll tell you that right now. Growing up poor, I think um, a lot of people become hyper-responsible with money. They don't spend money they don't need to spend. You know, they put money in savings. Um, They want to make sure that they're never poor like they were when they were kids. And then there are people like me who fought to keep from depending on money. People who fought to be a slave to money because that's how... Some of us see it. Some of us see, you know, working too hard and worrying about money all day, it, you become a slave to it, you know, um, because that's just what a capitalist system would like you to do is keep money as your main focus. And whether or not that's the best way, that's, I'm not going to debate that. But what I do know is that watching my mother struggle with bills, I've always resented money. I've resented how the system works and one could say that I've just simply bucked against it every chance I've gotten. However, having a resentment with money in a capitalist system is like pissing upstream. You know, you're the only one who's going to feel it. I have gotten, and I bring this up to kind of as a segue to this, I've gotten a lot of emails and phone calls and requests for zoom meetings of people who want me to monetize my presence online on certain social media platforms you know they want to give me a bigger check than tiktok can give me and they would like me to set up some sort of a an online course on on my youtube channel or and, and they're pushing me to basically monetize my presence. And it makes me uncomfortable. They don't make me uncomfortable. The idea of focusing on money with something I truly enjoy makes me uncomfortable. Now, I don't deny that I need the money. That's, you know... I. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying I could really use the money right now. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of us who feel that way. But I'm afraid that if I focus too much on money, money with the podcast, money with the Patreon, you know, um my social media presence on you know platforms like TikTok and Instagram and and I focus on getting paid rather than on meeting people. I'm afraid it'll change me for the worse. I'm afraid it's going to put a distance between me and listeners, between me and viewers. And I don't, I'm just, I just don't know if I want that much to change. Like money will change me in that way. That's how it changes me. I don't want money to be a barrier between myself and a person who may need or want to talk i'm afraid of missing an opportunity to help someone because they couldn't afford to get on whatever platform or couldn't afford to take some online course or you know i think it's another reason why i didn't add tears to my patreon account yet although with adding tears um I would be able to, you know, give people gifts. But, all in all, I feel like then certain people would never be able to get on the Patreon. Because let's face it, some people don't have $4.99 a month right now. They just don't. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there just like myself who found themselves three months behind in rent during this quarantine. And... Sometimes, you know, I'm not saying I'm a magnificent individual because I am far from it. But I know that sometimes I bring light to certain people's days. And what days do you need more light than those days when you have no money and the bills are coming in? And I don't want... I mean, what kind of light is it that you have to pay for it? You know what I'm saying? I... It just irks me, man. And I know it's kind of normalized because we live in a capitalist society. And I know I need money in order to live. But what I'm asking is, where do we draw the line? Where is the line between money and relationships? You know, if it's... I'm not talking about like, you know, I loaned a friend $20 and they haven't paid me back in three weeks. I mean that's that's a separate kind of obstacle to come through. You know what I mean? Mixing money with loved ones. But is there anything I guess I guess what I want to know is that if is there anything that we shouldn't have to pay for? I know in a capitalist system, if there's an opportunity to make money, one should consider it, right? Because that's That's what we learn in a capitalist society. If there's an opportunity to get paid, get paid. But is there some lines that we just shouldn't cross? You know what I mean? Like, should you really have to pay admission to hear me talk to you about how wonderful you always have been despite any mistakes you've made? Like, do you have to pay to actually hear that? Or... You know, I've always had a resentment with pain therapists. I'm not saying people shouldn't make money. But I've, throughout the years, I guess I always, you know, I was a kid when I started in therapy. And I needed an adult presence in my life. And when I, when I went to therapy, I thought my therapist genuinely cared. Right? As, as we all do. You know, and of course they do. They, they got into that business because they wanted to help others. But there's that, you know, the the care can only go but so far because they have to take care of themselves financially. However, as a kid, I couldn't wrap my brain around that. And as soon as I couldn't afford to see a therapist, when they dropped me, that abandonment feeling was hard to deal with. You know, I had built a relationship with a therapist when I was 16, and six months into it when i couldn't afford to pay him he dropped me and i mean i I saw this guy at least once a week for six months and how do you just drop somebody because they don't have money i I had a hard time wrapping my head around that as a kid and to tell you the truth guys i have a hard time wrapping my head around it now and it's at moments like that that i feel that universal health care would help build that relationship between therapist and client. Because I swear, bringing a payment into the person who's gonna hear you be so vulnerable, I just feel like those are two separate entities that should never conjoin, you know? Kind of like church and state. I don't think, uh, you know, emotional support and money go hand in hand. (laughs) I just don't think they belong together. Where do we draw the line as far as education? You know, uh, they're trying to privatize the school system little by little by little. And I mean, in the last four years, a lot by a lot by a lot. But what about the people? I've always had a hard time with this. I've never understood why this country didn't keep the educational system equal. That is to say that all public schools would get the same funding as opposed to funding schools by the property taxes in that area, which enabled wealthier districts to have better educational systems, had to have the best teachers because of course they want to make as much money as they can as teachers. But what about that great mind, the next scientist, the next cure? For cancer, the you know, whatever those things are, the, the next great writer, great poet, what if they never get the education they needed because the property taxes in their neighborhood weren't high enough to keep the good teachers there to be available to them? I mean that that's where I feel like we need to draw the line in society about money. Now getting back to myself. I can't tell you how many times, I know I told you guys the Coney Island story, but I can't tell you how many times I woke up and saw my mother hunched over the table, looking at bills, trying to figure out how she was going to pay it all, getting angry. And I remember as a teenager, um, when my mom was still home, one one of the funniest things that used to happen was I would get the mail from my mom and I'd be like, mom, mail's here. She's like, if there are any bills, file them. Meaning, if there were any bills, throw them in the garbage because we didn't have the money right now. And she'd worry about it later. Mm. I never saw my mother actually worry about the bills. So, I assumed that that's what you did. You didn't worry about bills. Bills came, you threw them out. Y'all, I was still in my 40s and throwing bills out. Let me, wait, hold on. Let me tell you the whole truth. Actually, I just threw a bill out three days ago. I was like, fuck that bill. I ain't paying that shit right now. Like, I'm three months behind in my rent. I'll be damned if I'm worried about this little fucking hospital bill right now. And has it saved me a lot of stress? Oh, sure. Sure. It saved me from a lot of stress. However, it's also put me in a lot of debt. Because... I don't have a sense of urgency to pay a bill, you know? I I grew up with a mom who was like, we'll make it. I don't know how, but we'll make it. And I've taken on this, you know, living in the second, in this very present moment sort of mentality in order to cope. And bills were about worrying about the future. I'm not gonna worry about what's due in two weeks. I need to worry about just getting through this day, being happy in this day, loving myself in this day, and I ain't thinking about what I gotta give these motherfuckers two weeks from now. And I think there's a, I think I'm trapped, right? Because I don't want money and bills to consume me, but I also don't want homelessness and poverty to consume me either. I would like to spend a couple of years of these last years of my life, I'd like to spend them doing something better, than scraping and I'm never going to get I'm only going to get but so far waiting tables let's let's just be honest I mean it's not exactly the best line of work there's no there's no benefits and if there are benefits you're damn sure going to pay a lot out of them a lot out of your paycheck a little money out of pocket Uh, your legs your hips your knees your ankles everything starts to go your back um, and I'm not getting any younger. So it's only going to get harder on me physically if I continue. I'm about to finish my grad degree, speaking of money. Um, and I'm when I'm done with this grad degree in the next year, I will officially be $100,000 in debt with the educational system of the United States. And I'm trying to imagine what if I had to pay for public school as well. Privatizing the public school system is a frightening thought to me. I mean, how many kids in poorer neighborhoods have already got it bad enough? I try to imagine what would happen if a parent was working, whether a single mom, single dad, you know, two parents' home struggling, what have you, whatever it is. But I'm trying to imagine parents who have to work, who have to work outside the home, who have to work sometimes two, three, four jobs just to stay afloat. Not home for their children, like my mother was, having to work so much. And then also not being able to afford school for their child and their child never getting the proper education. I mean, what kind of victim of society would we create with children that can't read, that can't, you know, uh, co- uh, navigate a mathematical problem, um, who don't have an understanding of science, who wouldn't have an understanding of, of our governments, you know, there'd be no civics, there would be no, you know, very little reading. What, What kind of victims would we have then? What kind of consequences as a society would we be dealing with? That scares me. It really, really scares me. I don't like how dependent on money I have to be in order to be comfortable in this life. I don't like... I guess I've just rebelled against money because I've seen what a lack of money will do to other people. I've seen the damage it causes. I've seen the stress. And for some reason, growing up, as opposed to saying, I'm going to manage money because I've seen what it did to my family. I've said... I refuse to allow money to control me, because I've seen what that did to my family. And in some ways, it's been beneficial, right? But in a lot of other ways, it's been awful, you know? I'm 50 years old, managing my first apartment, and I'm barely getting by. But a year from now, I'll be trying to become a, a teacher or a professor, and money will be a lot more stable. And I'll worry a lot less. And I'll be paying off my student loans, yada, yada. But I guess I'm just, I'll be in a perpetual poverty after this, you know, when school's done. And for some reason, I'm okay with that. Because, again, I've never allowed money or a lack thereof become the you know, the deciding factor in how my day was going to go. Now, has it, have I suffered consequences because of that? Sure. You know, dating has not been what it could have been. Um, I don't have a lot to bring to the table. And I've come to accept that. I've come to accept that, um, you know, there's a lot of people out here who want a partner that, you know, has done something for themselves, especially at my age. You know, you're talking about a 20-year-old who's still living at home. You know, okay, he's a 20-year-old still living at home. He may have some bum-esque qualities. But I can remember living with my mother in my 30s because I just didn't know how to manage money. I just didn't know how to manage money. And I didn't want to know how to manage money. I didn't want the stress of it. I just, I equated uh, focusing on money to the way my mother used to just hunch over a table cursing and crying and not knowing how to handle her bills. And I've always told myself that that's what happens when you focus on money. And I know it's not true on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm triggered by money. I get a lot of anxiety trying to, you know, plan and plot a budget. And, you know, maybe, you know, monetizing an online class would be good. But then I was like, See, this, these people who, they reached out to me today, and I know for a fact that they don't care if I'm a professional or not. What they want is a way to help me make money so they can take a nominal fee. Point blank, period. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm afraid of. There's, there's so many people so eager to make money that they find themselves hustling instead of grinding. And what I mean by that is grinding takes a little more sincerity. I'm not looking for a quick dollar. I don't want to try to convince people that I can help them with self-love, that I can help them find hope in the world, you know, and just for eleven ninety nine a month. <laughs> you know, that sounds awful. I don't know what to think, y'all. I just... I just wanted to share my thoughts this morning. I know I haven't been on... I haven't had a new podcast in a while, and I apologize. It's been a hell of a week. Uh, I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff. Hey, uh, I'm back. You know, the Trump presidency is over. But that doesn't mean that Trump is gone. He is alive and well from his political grave. I will tell you, I have been rotating around the sun with this planet for five decades now. And I never thought I'd see the day when, in my lifetime, politicians would cower from their constituents. You know, it happened in the 60s. You know, politicians got nervous with the Black Panther Party. You know, um, the flower power movement. Uh, feminism w- was was making strides. But I never thought I'd see the day, you know, that all happened before I was born. That the bully bullied itself. You know what I'm saying? These politicians were scared I really honestly believe that Republican politicians were afraid to convict Trump for inciting an insurrection. I really believe that they were afraid of the potential death threats of the violence. I think they were hyper aware that the same people who attempted the coup, who attempted this insurrection, who destroyed the Capitol who spread their feces on the walls. They understood that those same people were in their districts. These are the same people who not only did they attempt an insurrection at the Capitol, the same thing happened in Oregon at the state Capitol. Same thing was happening in Arizona. The same thing was happening in so many other cities. Let's not forget about Michigan and the attempted kidnapping of the governor of Michigan. And I think that these Republican politicians understand that these people are part of their constituency and they're catering to this xenophobic, racist mob who want their country back quote end quote they feel like they're losing their country and I heard Dave chappelle say something about it he's you know he's all over a lot of platforms and he said you know white people felt for 30 minutes what black people have been feeling for 400 years and they exploded which also brings the question why why haven't people of color exploded in this country? Maybe it's because we know that we would have the full force of the American military on us if we did. That's probably why. But I i got to tell you, I suspected that Trump would be found not guilty because deep inside I knew not enough Republican voters would vote him guilty. But I wished... I wanted to be proven wrong and I wasn't. And I'll tell you in the last 48 to 72 hours since the verdict, it's kind of taken something out of me. It it cut away a little piece of me. Because I know every time I work with every paycheck I receive, they're gonna take taxes. I love the way Chris Rock put it. You don't pay taxes, they take taxes. That shit ain't a donation or a contribution, it's a jack. (laughs) So that's what's going through my mind, is I'm contributing, I'm enabling, I'm supporting what I just saw happen in Congress. I am paying for people to lie to my face and tell me that Trump is not guilty because they're afraid of the schoolyard bullies that are roaming around this country right now with their Second Amendment and with misguided, albeit, but with focus and willing to use violence against their own representatives. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do having this this blast of reality, having this 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 awareness of how bad things really are in the Capitol. I don't know how to have faith in a government like that. You know, and when you see the GOP and you see just how absolutely awful a shit show that was. It makes Joe Biden look like, you know, the second coming of Christ, you know, which a lot of us know better. A lot of us who are on the left know that Joe Biden is a centrist. But I will tell you that this is about as far left as I've ever seen him. And it makes me wonder if he's just trying to do some good deeds before he dies. (laughs) I'm going to be real honest with you. That's really how I see it. And I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. You know, I just feel a sense of loss. You know, believe it or not, I I would consider myself a patriot. I love the United States. Now, I have... Let me also say, right, let me, let me also say that I've never lived anywhere else but the United States. But I do love it here. Now, when I say I love it, what is it? What do I love about the United States of America? For one, I love the land. I think it's beautiful. Beautiful. And I am conscious of the fact that this land belongs to the indigenous. And I when I'm when I say the land, I mean wipe away all the buildings in New York City, you know, wipe away all the uh, all the casinos in Vegas and in Atlantic City. Just do away with all of the things that that blind us to the the land itself. I'm talking about the Grand Canyon. I'm talking about seeing a sunrise, you know, in Florida. I'm talking about seeing a sunset in California. I'm I'm talking about, you know, the Colorado mountains, you know, the New Mexico mountains. I'm talking about places like... uh, Moab and, and, you know, Fraser, Colorado, and parts of Wyoming and Montana and, you know, um, Maine, you know, just staring out from, from a lighthouse in Maine. There's so many just captivating and breathtaking places in this country. What I don't See anymore, and I'm I'm relieved, but it's also sad. Is I I don't I no longer see America as this hero of, you know, human rights and dignity. Um, those those ideas have been just blown out the water for a long time now. I'm aware of how the United States have interfered with so many other uh, political regimes all around the world. How they Negatively influence um, different governments to enable capitalism to spread, and then that's where we come back to money again, right? But I want to feel like I've left something proud to be proud of behind for the up and coming generations, and I don't feel that right now. I think that we're starting to move in the right direction, and I hope that we keep the momentum going. I hope we don't sit on our loins because Joe Biden is in office and we think that all is well now, all is okay, because it isn't. Because again, Trump is still running the GOP from the political grave. These guys are shook, you know, um, And I think the biggest example of the hypocrisy and the atrocities that are happening in government is Lindsey Graham. God, this guy is such a liar. He's awful. He's just awful. The way he has just pandered to the hate in order to maintain his political power on the Hill is just sad you know when i i watched uh the representative from kentucky you know the one who's got a face that looks like a turtle and him admitting that of course trump is responsible and he was very calculated in how he described trump's responsibility as far as the insurrection was concerned he said he had a moral responsibility for it he didn't say it was a legal responsibility even though it was absolutely a legal responsibility he did in fact intend to incite that riot and he did so calculatingly you know but they're so busy trying to save face with this hate-mongering constituency They really have to say the things they say in order to represent the people that they are in fact representing. And it's sad. You know, Ted Cruz has always been a weasel. But I've never seen even a a real life weasel sink this low. It is just, it's unspeakable. It's unspeakable. And even at this very moment, talking about it hurts It hurts when I see somebody like Eugene Goodman do what he did. It hurts when I think of, you know, Deputy Clyde Kerr, the third, and how the insurrection took so much from his soul that he took his own life. And these politicians really are just going to stand there and vote not guilty. I I don't know how they look in the mirror. I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know how they kiss their kids. I I just... I don't know how they take a shower. Just one shower. You know, I, I just imagine a lot of Republican representatives just staying in the shower, hoping to get it off of them, whatever they have smeared all over their soul right now. And there isn't enough water to wash it away. But what do I do with that? I mean, I could... I could talk negatively about the government for the next hour and I'm not going to do that. What can I do? What can I do to see that this stops? And and I'm not really sure what influence I could have over the next you know voting season where we have an opportunity to get rid of a lot of these Republican politicians that are pandering to hate. But I think that's where the next question is. You know, that is to say that I've had this thought in my head for years about building my own school. But then that goes to privatizing school. You know, I... I I want school to be better. I think political science should be taught earlier in school. I think that a lot of these people who do follow Trump with an undying loyalty, I can't help but recognize that so many of them are not college educated. I can't help but see that so many of them, and if you've had any debates on social media with some of these people, you know as well as I do, They ain't read a book since they were in the sixth grade. And their inability to grasp what is happening on a political front is glaring. And I think that is that exploitation of people who have lacked the opportunities to further their education. That's what hurts the most. Is that if we had a more politically savvy population, I believe that we would be a better country. So, I guess, when it comes down to it, the contribution that I could make to making this country better is to be a really good teacher. Is to make young people aware of the mistakes that my generation has definitely made, Gen X in the building, what, what? But, um, just I think we just need to let them know the consequences. And, you know, for anyone who is my age, you know, I'm 50, I'll be 51 in April. Holla, Taurus in the building. Um, I think if you have children and grandchildren, if you've never really sat down with them and talked about the mistakes we've made as a generation. I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. I think honest conversations about where our generations went wrong with race, with sexuality, with gender. I think that those conversations are essential to making sure that these mistakes aren't repeated in the future you know something my mother she did sort of but she never really went into depth and she couldn't you know my mom struggled with homophobia um but I think you know my ex-wife she didn't like to when she was broke and she couldn't afford something she never wanted to tell the kids because she felt like it would you know it would harm them in some way. Where I felt the opposite. You know, I felt like my mother always saying, nope, we can't afford it. It was, you know, keeping me, keeping my expectations realistic about stuff, the some stuff. And I just feel like if we told our kids, I'm broke and this is why. Because this costs money and that costs money. And you know what? I just want to tell you, honey, if you were living in France or the UK, you wouldn't have to pay for this doctor visit. You know, um, if you were in Finland or Sweden, you wouldn't have to pay for your college education to this amount. The reason why we're broke is because our government has allowed these expenses to balloon way out of the atmosphere while keeping our hourly wages really low. We're broke because we're being exploited. And those are the kinds of honest conversations I think we need to start having with kids. You know, there was times when my mother said, you you really want to know what's wrong? Here, come here, sit down, I'll tell you what's wrong. And my mom used to talk to me about race in a way that I know a lot of parents didn't talk about race. And because my mother had those conversations with me, I was prepared. I'd like to think I was a lot more prepared for tense moments when race came up in discussion. I think it's my responsibility to lay bare both the triumphs and the failures of my generation to those who are following behind us. And maybe then things will be better for their kids. Or their grandkids. What do you think? How will you contribute to making this a better place? Because let's face it, none of us are going anywhere. And if we got to live here, we got to do something about it. Be blessed. Y'all have a good day. And I'll talk to you again. Hey, y'all, your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to Anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a 1,000 subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.